I hope you're doing well. We want to experience Christ this Christmas, and that is what we're doing with this series. This study in Matthew, this wonderful book written by a Jew to the Jews. A focus on them who needed to hear and understand and connect all of the Old Testament with their Savior. 65 references in the book of Matthew to the Old Testament. Way more than any of the other Gospels. Matthew pulled in all the Old Testament to explain that Jesus was the fulfillment of all of that as their Messiah. So this Jewish bend book, let's learn, let's learn some things from the Word of God. Now last week, I did Matthew 1-16. to It was all I could do. After that, I, I was so tongue-tied after the begots and the begots. This week, two verses. Two verses. Because last week it was just too much. My brain didn't work after that. So Matthew 18 through 20, let's read this and let's learn something from the Word of God. Now the birth of Jesus was as follows. After his mother Mary was betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Spirit. When Joseph, her husband, excuse me, then Joseph, her husband, being a just man and not wanting to to make her a public example, was minded to put her away secretly. But while he thought about these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take to you Mary, your wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. Is of the Holy Spirit. Let's look at this here, and let's learn something from the Word of God. There's notes. There's some in the back if you need some. Let's jump into this. Let's feast on the Word of God. This is feast season. Come on. It's, fe- it's not fast season. It's feasting season. Let's feast on the Word of God spiritually as we do physically. Verse 19, Then Joseph, her husband, being a just man, being a just man, no unnecessary details in the Bible. Every word, every phrase, just look at it a little bit longer. That phrase is, an, is, a, is a Hebrew cliche, meaning an observer of divine laws. One who observes, looks at, stares at, and obeys divine laws. Joseph being a just man. Let me tell you about Christmas. I know baby Jesus, absolutely the Savior. Mary is so central to this. But Matthew starts out with the focus on Joseph and his decision-making, with the focus on Joseph and his leadership, the focus on a man of God who is actually going to be making decisions for Mary and baby Jesus. He's going to be making all the decisions throughout Jesus' childhood, and it starts right here with Joseph being a just man, number one on your notes. Christmas is about honoring God first. It's God first in everything, but it's an easy sell at Christmas. (laughs) It is about honoring God first. Joseph is going to make the decisions, and I mean some hard decisions, because he is a just man observing divine laws. What's the story here? We've got a man betrothed, which means legally married. They weren't married, they had not come together yet because the betrothal could last up to years, usually many months. But by law, he had full marriage rights and was married to her. 
So to put her away is a big legal matter. He could do it in multiple ways. He could do it publicly. He could do it at the temple. He's going to deny all of those things, even though this is not a lovey-dovey time for him, is he? The highest, most wonderful time. He's a young man. He's getting ready to get married. And he finds out, oh, my, my wife is with child. His life comes crashing down, right? It does. It comes crashing down around him. But because he's a just man, these, this justice, this divine law, it's going to make his decisions for me. I remember years ago, my pastor, Pastor Mike, said, about 95% of my decisions are already made. He had a large church and had to make decisions all the time, decisions all the time, all the time, all the time, all the time. And I'm like, 95% of your decisions are already made. I want that. Only 5% decisions a day. He'll take that one. I said, oh, that sounds great. Can I, like, watch TV after that? <laughs> he said, yes, Stephen, 95% of my decisions are already made. Because my morality and what is truth is set by the word of God, it makes my decisions for me. Not my emotions, not circumstances. They're made, so it takes the pressure off of me. Oh, we see Joseph with some of that, don't we? Because he's a just man observing divine laws, even though his emotions are torn up, even though all of these things are going on, he knows the decision that needs to be made. I've got to put her away, but I'm going to do it quietly, honorably, for her sake. Let me show you a scripture here that's often read. It's a famous scripture, and I love it. should be. It's wonder, wonderfully said. Micah 6, 8 says this. He has shown you, O man, what is good, and what does the Lord require of you? You know the scripture. Three things. To do justly. I'm supposed to have a, a constant relationship with justice. I'm supposed to be doing justly in my life with everyone. To love mercy. I'm supposed to have an intimate relationship with mercy. It's supposed to be with me and close to me all the time. It's not just a working relationship. I love it because God loves it. I love mercy. I love it on myself. I love to give it to others and to walk humbly with our God. If I want a long-term relationship with God, humility is the way. But I was looking at this. You know, we always think about that, like how to live life, right, and how to treat others. We, we hear that a lot, and I, it, it's correct. But really, what's the point of this scripture and what does the who? The Lord first. This is about him, about honoring him first, about putting him first. Even before you're treating other people, it's about him. What does the Lord require? He requires some things of us. What does the Lord require? And this is what maybe came back to Joseph's mind. I bet you when all of this came up, the flood of Old Testament scriptures, which young Jewish boys had to learn and not a few. They were in school their whole life and had large portions of the scripture committed to memory. That's what, that's what it was. That's the way it was in that culture. Came flooding back in him. Okay, I have to honor God first in all of this. You know, salvation is free, right? The free gift of God. Discipleship. Being a spiritual leader like Joseph's going to be, that'll cost you, right? We need to teach people that. You get saved by the grace of God. You want to mature and do something for, for the Lord, it'll cost you. And we, it needs to cost us. We need to be able to step into the place of Christ and say, oh, I get to be like him. I get to understand who he is a little bit better.
David Livingston said this. It's on your notes. This is one of those ooh quotes. You need to read a good quote and just sit back and go, ooh, yeah. If a commission by an earthly king is considered an honor, how can a commission by a heavenly king be considered a sacrifice? Mm, that's one of those mm. Let's keep looking here. It's about honoring God first. He was a just man. Verse 2. But why, excuse me, verse 20. But while he thought about these things, no knee-jerk reaction, no emotional blow-up. This is a time he could have emotionally lost it. No. While he thought about these things, behold, an angel of the Lord is going to intervene and appears to him. But while he waited, now this is probably a sleepless night. All this has happened. He's got decisions to make. He's, his life, this is life-changing stuff, right? The way his whole life is going to go. He says, okay, let me think. Let me wait. Waiting is a major Old Testament theme. It should be for us too. We're not in the habit of it because we have salvation and we have direct access by the blood of Jesus to God, to the Holy Spirit. Just for the forgiveness of sins, they had to do it once a year and they had to wait for the Day of Atonement, right? And the priest gets all done up and he goes into the temple, into the Holy of Holies, and he puts the smoke in there and he's all... It was, it was so much waiting. They had to wait. We're not used to that, but in the Jewish mind, okay, waiting is of a very high value. We know patience is a virtue. Number two on your notes. Life decisions should only be made after the Lord speaks. Is this a life decision? This is a life decision right here. He is waiting, and he's just going to wait on the mercy of God. This is an important principle. We have to learn to make life decisions on God's time. Amen? We have to be waiting on the things of God. I learned this when I was young, and it was not a, an easy lesson. You know, I was single for nine years. I had to learn how to wait because that was not my heart. I just didn't want to wait. I had to wait for my wife. And when I finally was, found her, I spent six, months, excuse me, six weeks praying, put her on the altar. And then after the end of that, she was, the Lord says, she's still there. <laughs> I said, okay, I have got to make sure. Because this is a life decision. It's going to change the course of my life, who you marry does, for good and bad. It changes the course of your life. So then I locked myself in a room for three days. I said, okay, Lord, this is there. But if you want to take it, it's up to you. You can take it. Now, if you don't take it after three days, this is it. I've done, it's, it's there. So I, that is the way I learned to make life decisions by waiting. Let's look at Psalm 27. Verse 14, wait on the Lord, be of good courage while you do it, and he will strengthen your heart. This is almost counterintuitive. Are you ready? Waiting builds strength. Waiting builds strength. Impatience makes you weak, it seems. Hasty decisions Make you weak. But waiting builds strength. Wait, I say, on the Lord. So that's King David. Let's look at his son. Let's see what his son said in Proverbs 20. 
This is Proverbs 20, 21. An inheritance gained hastily at the beginning will not be blessed at the end. Don't give kids a whole bunch of money. That's what I learned from that. <laughs> and do not say I will recompense evil or I'm going to fix this. I'm going to, Joseph, I've hurt. I'm going to recompense evil for evil on Mary. Wait for the Lord and he will save the person who hurts you. He'll save who? You. He will fix and get you out of this mess, out of this hurt, out of this bitterness or pain, whatever it is. Life decisions should only be made after the Lord speaks. Let me show you a couple little clips here. Look at this first one. This is what impatience gets. This is the impatient drilling company. (laughs) They're not in business anymore. (laughs) Now, don't put that next picture up. Oh, it's all right. You didn't know what it was. If you have a weak constitution, you may need to leave the room on this one, okay? This past January in Flagstaff, Arizona, a horrible, horrible tragedy happened on our highways. Y'all, <laughs> I'm sorry. Y'all relax. Everybody just stop breathing. <laughs> Put that picture up. Just take a minute to look at it. Several of you are already trying to figure out what in the world happened. Someone got highly impatient on an icy, slick road. Hit an 18-wheeler. Not one person was injured, but 3,500 gallons of glorious chocolate were lost. That's chocolate. Y'all just, let's just take a moment during these holidays. We need a moment of silence. 3,500 gallons of pure, beautiful, liquid chocolate were lost. This is the consequence. Does anyone want this in their life? No. If you went to the store this holiday season, they were out of chocolate, then it would really matter. Then it would matter. (laughs) This is what impatience gets us. Loss of chocolate. Let's keep looking here. Verse 20, back in Matthew. But while he thought on these things, as he waited on the Lord, the Lord always intervenes. When we learn to wait is when he intervenes. If we take it up on ourselves, he often doesn't. Because we've become a God, and we've taken care of it, and we can do it. When we learn to wait is the, when supernatural happens. If we don't learn to wait, we, we actually hinder. We stop the supernatural in our life because God goes, okay. Like, you know, children who say, I can do it, I can do it, and they are going to somehow reach the top of the fridge and it's not going to happen. So here we are, verse 20. He thought about these things. Behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, very important when a new character is introduced in a narrative. Very important, the first words out of their mouth. Whatever the story is, when a character, this one being divine and angel, most probably Gabriel, right? Gabriel's in kind of in charge of everything in the narrative story. He's the one that comes to Mary. He's the one who announces uh, with the shepherds. Gabriel, the archangel, is most probably the one who's speaking to him. Joseph, son of David. 
Now, there are no unnecessary details in the Bible. Those words are not said accidentally, and you need to stop. We need to stop and pause at them. Joseph, son of David. Joseph, the one who understands that there are two covenants in the Old Testament. Two. One given to Abraham, saying, from your seed, all nations will be blessed. And then we fast forward hundreds and hundreds of years to King David, who the God of the universe steps forward and said, you, on your seed, the king will come, reign eternal from your seed. Joseph, who's in that line of David, we see all the, ge- the, the genealogy, all this begat, 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 begat is not wasted. It's to set everyone up to know that this is Joseph, the son of David, the one who's in line with the covenant, the one who's a broken man, who's, who's waiting on the things of the Lord. You have to understand the divine power of these words to him. This would have lifted him up off the ground. This would have filled his cell with, with uh, his his with wind filled his sails with wind that's a tough one it would have changed his entire outlook you need to think of these words like a prophetic um, word of knowledge going to him you are the one in the line of the covenant you are the one in the line of david you are the one whom the messiah will come to you will be involved in this thing it's of the Holy Spirit, but you're going to be the one who actually gets to make decisions for Jesus as a child. Joseph, son of David. Whew, it just would have changed everything he thought about. Every, everything he was dealing with, it would have eradicated. Every fear, every uh, doubt, it just would have filled his heart. Oh, yes, I'm the son of David. Yes, I'm in the line of the Messiah. Yes, I'm the son of David. Number three on your notes. Only in our God-given identity do we have the strength to act. You have a better covenant than son of David. You're a child of the king. Is that correct? Have, are you a child of the... Did he say that? And is he, he's not a man that he should lie. Oh, what love the Father has given us that we should be called children of God, right? Okay. My identity in Christ is set. Now I can act in supernatural ways. We must understand that that is who we are all the time. This is why Paul said in Philippians 4.13, this famous one. I can do all things through Christ, through my identity in him. That's how I can do all things. I love the way Peter says it in 2 Peter. He's going to talk to the church, his last letter to the church, and he's going to write in 2 Peter 1, 1 through 4. Listen to this identity he gives to this church, to us right now. Simon Peter, a bondservant and an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who have obtained like precious faith with us. The faith of Peter is the same faith I have and you have in Christ. He's not some great high stained glass person who you can never reach and his amazing. No, no, no. He like precious faith. Somebody hit the AC, please. Righteousness of God and Savior Jesus Christ. 
Grace and peace multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus Christ our Lord. Look at this, verse 3. As his divine power has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us by glory and virtue, by which by which have been given to us exceedingly great and precious promises that through these you may be what partakers the identity of the divine nature having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust oh lord i get to have your identity now We can go forward in any issue in life. There is nothing greater than that. Therefore, we can handle all things, right? You can handle any injustice, any difficulty, because you have his identity and his nature. Let's keep looking one more here. We're still in verse 20. Joseph, son of David. Now he's up on his feet. Now he's filled with strength and polytestosterone. Now he's uh, puddled on the floor five minutes ago. He's lifted up. He's ready to go. Yes, sir, give me marching orders. Whatever you say next, I'm going to take his truth. Whatever you say next, I'm ready. You have to have identity first before you can receive anything else. Listen to me. I love you now. Listen to bald Pastor Stephen. If your identity is not set in Christ, you cannot receive anything else after that. That has to be set. I have nothing to prove. He loves me on my good days and bad. I am in Christ. I am his and he is mine. Now I can actually hear and go forward in life. Anything else is bondage and fear. Amen. You see how he sets him up so now he can receive direction and order. We always, what do you want me to do? What do I need to do? What do I need to do? What do I need to do? If I do, then I'm successful. No. Those that believe on the Lord Jesus are saved, not those that behave on him. From the place of complete acceptance in Christ, now, whatever you want me to do, I'm happy. I'll dig a ditch or go preach to thousands. I don't care. I'm in him. We got it? You got it? Oh, that's freedom. That's freedom. Do not be afraid to take to you, Mary, your wife. This is a fork in the road for Joseph's whole life and ours. First, salvation. Nothing happens without salvation, right? We come to Christ as Savior. Now, here's the step we all must take. This is an every day. Every day you wake up, this is the step you take. You're going to make decisions based in fear are decisions based in obedience. Every decision, everyone, every day, you, you got to make decisions, right? Every one of them. You now, Joseph, he looks at Joseph and says, okay, do not be afraid. Take her to, as your wife, and you have to make a decision right here in your life. And from this time going forward, this is why it's so important. Who's leading the home still? Joseph. What kind of culture is Joseph going to set? And Joseph doesn't get to be the king, but he gets to raise up the king. He gets to be a king maker. You're going to set the culture, Joseph, for this sinless son of God in your house, whether it's going to be a home of fear or a home of obedience. 
How honoring is that? That Joseph gets to set the culture. Joseph gets to decide right here. Now go this way or this way. And that's the culture Mary's going to live in. That's the culture Jesus is going to hear and understand first. He's still a child. He had to grow in wisdom and stature and favor with God and man. He, it's, it's, you know how it says in Hebrews, the lesser is blessed by the greater. Joseph, so much lesser, gets to teach Jesus the word become flesh, the Bible, faith. Whoa. It's, it's hard for us to understand being a person teaching Jesus. He did. He, did, he wasn't at two years old filled with all knowledge. Joseph got to do that because he made a decision. This was the decision. Number four on your notes. You cannot obey God and live in fear at the same time. Salvation is free. Discipleship will cost you. It'll cost you, and this is the decision. Okay, Lord, I cannot glorify you in fear. I have to glorify you in faith and obedience. So I'm going to obey, and I'm not living in fear. And I'm going to get up every morning, not only during Christmas, but every morning and saying, obedience is mine. Fear is gone. This is our decision. This is our decision. Let me show you the way... Moses said it to the children of Israel, and we should love the book of Deuteronomy. Look at someone say, I love Deuteronomy. You love it. Oh, I love Deuteronomy. You better, because the greatest commandment that Jesus proclaimed in Matthew when he said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, is a quote from Deuteronomy chapter 6. you got to love Deuteronomy. In Deuteronomy chapter 430, as Moses is getting ready to be done, and he's trying to set the culture and the faith of the people of Israel because he's not there anymore. He's going to set it. This is what he says in Deuteronomy 4, 30. When you are in distress, that was where Joseph was, and all things come upon you in the latter days, when you turn to the Lord your God and, oh, what? Obey his voice. Obey his voice. For the Lord, your God, is a merciful God. He will not forsake you nor destroy you. And this is old covenant. Nor forget the covenant of your fathers, which he swore to them. Israel, you're, gonna, you're a people of obedience. You're a people of faith. You don't live in fear. Now, where, how big of a decision was this for Joseph? Well, we need to look at the next several years because this is the precedent. It's hard to start, but once you start obeying, you don't want anything else. Once you start obeying, it's, it's addictive. It's wonderful. You're like, oh, Lord, you could actually use me. Oh, I could actually live above all this world. Okay, let's watch Matthew's life. Um, excuse me. Matthew 2, let's watch Joseph's life. So we know Joseph made the right decision, right? We know he made the right decision. Now, let's watch the decisions after. Matthew 2, 13. Now, when they had departed, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph after wise men left, saying this is a year and a half-ish later. 
Arise and take the young child and his mother. Flee to Egypt and stay there until I bring you word. For Herod will seek to destroy, will seek the young child to destroy him. He's had two years of obedience under his belt now. He's not some kind of new believer. He's, he's, he's growing in the things of the Lord. Now it's like, not only is he just going to have to take this lady and nothing else is going to have to change. Now get up, pack everything up, and head all the way to Egypt. All right. I'm, a, I'm, I'm bent to obedience. I've been doing this. I'm not turning back now. Now I'm going to obey, and we're going to Egypt. Look, you keep going. Now when Herod was dead, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, in a dream to Joseph in Egypt, saying, Arise, take the young child and his mother, and go to the land of Israel. To those, for those who sought the young child's life are dead. Then he arose, took the young child and his mother, and came into the land of Israel. Do you see the progressive obedience there? Do you see how God progressively taught him to live in obedience and all fear died? It doesn't matter if he was in Egypt. It doesn't matter if he's coming back to Israel. None of that matters. He's living in obedience, and he's creating a culture in his marriage of what? Obedience. He's creating a culture in his home where the sinless Son of God is being raised of obedience. That's the culture Jesus grew up in. And it was Joseph's honor to do that. That's it. That's all I got. Let's stand up. Okay, I got one more story. Stand up, though. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Stand up. Stand up. <laughs> I went to a conference this past summer, and they, uh, Bethany Conference, and they have great speakers, and Larry Stockstill, Chris Hodges, and these just generals in the faith. Well, they had at the night session, because the name of the conference was Next is Now, a younger guy, he's actually younger than me, who he, he came and did the night session. I mean, it's Wednesday night, it's packed, but you couldn't even stand, I mean, you could barely stand in the room. That people in overflow is a two, 3,000 seat auditorium at Bethany South, and um, I, I know this guy, I've known him for years, his brother, me and his brother went to school together, and so he's a pastor at, in, in a Tulsa, Oklahoma, Victory Church. Not where I'm from, Victory, Colorado. Victory, there's like a thousand Victory churches, okay? If you travel around, you can go see them all. So, and he's, his dad, uh, Billy Joe Daughtery, died of uh, cancer uh, when he was young, a teenager. And they raised him up and he took over the church, even though he was only like 30, now he's like 35. And he preached a sermon. It was bad. I, it, it was bad. I don't even remember what it was about. It was, he was kind of all over the place. He was nervous, all these things. It's a church, big church in, in Tulsa. But just because a sermon's bad doesn't mean you don't listen to somebody because he did have a testimony. So he grew up in the Mecca, Tulsa, Oklahoma, the buckle of the Bible belt, with a, in a, with a pastor who was a mega church pastor of 10,000 people, Billy Joe Daugherty, and Billy Joe Daugherty is his name. And he was the interim president at ORU to hell, all these things. He grew up in a lot of pressure, all this stuff. So when he took over the church, obviously he's young and people leave and there's major. They just built a multi-million dollar building and all this stuff. And he's married with two young children and the pressure is about to break him. It's about to break him. And he starts having suicidal thoughts. And he's telling this story, and his sermon stunk, but this was real. It's okay, we all have bad sermons, bad, bad communication days. He goes to the bridge in Tulsa. I've been there many times. 
He's looking down at the rocks. And he thinks, if I just jump off this bridge, I can end it all right now. All the pressure, probably demonic attacks and everything. And he said he's standing there at night and he's crying. He's, a grown, he's in his early 30s. Now he's in his mid-30s. He says, if I can just end it now, all this will stop. The pain, the pressure, financial pressure from the church, just all the stuff. And he says, I, I wanted to start thinking about it. I wanted to start doing it. But he said, something began to hit me on the head. He looked up and it wasn't raining. No rain. It was a clear night in Tulsa. And he said it began to drip and hit him just like rain. And he said every scripture that he ever remembered began to drip on his head and hit him in the head. He said and every time he looked over the bridge, a new scripture would hit him. And it began to drip on him. He said until it felt like it was raining down on me. And every thought and every pain and every overwhelming fear just that so bad that made me want to take my own life just began to wash down off of him. And right there all by himself, he committed to obedience and he was free of fear. Now, I don't care who you are and what your name is. You come to Jesus. And you let him wash you. It's not a one-time thing in life. This, this young man had been saved many years, spirit-filled, in a phenomenal godly home. He had seen miracles and everything else. But there are just times when the word of God needs to come say, Joseph, son of David, do not fear. Amen? Come on, let's come to the Lord. Let's come to the Lord. I'm happy to announce his church is doing well. Moreover, his two young children are growing. I think they have three now. And his wife, and they're doing well. Because it washes. It washes, doesn't it? Come on, let's, let's, let's go to Jesus. Let's go to Jesus. Just You spend the next few minutes. I ended early. we got a few minutes. He may need just to wash on you. Let him wash you with his word. He had to wash Joseph and get him ready. Christmas is about experiencing Jesus. Won't let him just drip down on you.
David. Thank you, Jesus. Just before we leave, if you're in here and you don't know that you're His, you don't know that Christ is your Savior and you want Him to be, you want to have a covenant relationship with Him, an unbreakable one. You want to come under the blood of Jesus and you're done living your own life. If that's you and you're in here today, heads bowed. Is there anyone in here who doesn't know Jesus as Savior? Just slip up your hand. Anyone like that? Well, let's all come to Him together then. Lord, we're Your children, bought by the precious blood of Jesus. Thank You, Lord. You fill Your children with Your Word. No matter what's going on in our lives, You will blow wind into our cells through any situation. We commit to patience and to wait on You. We commit right now our way and our life decisions to you, Lord. They're yours. You lead. You guide. You direct us. We are yours, Father. And because we are yours and our identity is set in you, fear has no place in our life, no place in our mouth, no place in our thoughts. You have saved us and set us free from fear for your perfect love casts out all fear. And I thank you for this congregation as the senior pastor. Lord, that they don't live in fear. We don't live in fear. We don't talk like it. We don't act like it. We are set free by the blood of Jesus. Every home, every decision, every marriage, every family, every child is free. It's growing up in a culture of obedience to the Savior and not in fear. Our children are living in security. They're living in faith knowing that mom and dad trust God and that will be poured into them also God. We thank you that as Joseph obeyed you we are going to obey you. Oh thank you Lord for that. In Jesus name the strong son of God and everyone said amen and amen and amen. Give him praise. God bless you. Have a great day.